Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Um, I encourage you to sign up for our newsletter. We've started a newsletter. You can go to listenlearnandlove.org and look for the newsletter link and encourage you to encourage others to sign up. Uh, My guests on today's podcast are two dear friends, Kirk Richards and Allison Dayton. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Allison Dayton is a family friend. Her daughter, Deb, is marrying our son, Jake, um, in (laughs) mid-September. I'm not quite sure when this podcast released, so we're close family friends and excited about that upcoming marriage. And I think our listeners know Jay Kirk Richards. We're going to call him Kirk in the podcast, Um, someone who's a wonderful artist in our community and in our faith and um, in the area and has painted homes, painted pictures in our home and many other homes and chapels and venues. And we're grateful for Kirk taking time out of his schedule to share some of his thoughts. We're going to talk about our LGBTQ brothers and sisters. Allison has a son, Jake, Um, not to be confused with my own son, Jake, that's marrying your daughter, Deb, but you have a son named Jake who is a BYU student, is gay. We're going to talk about his road a little bit and your great job as a family loving this wonderful young man. And we're going to talk about a painting that Kirk did um, and a painting now that Allison has. Um, and let's just start. And we're, I've forgotten the name of that painting. I want to get it right. Kirk, will you just tell us the name of that painting? Yeah, the, <clears throat> we called the painting, Jesus Said, Love Everyone. And go ahead. Uh, and that takes its title from uh, a line from a primary hymn that, you know, a lot of us used to sing or maybe still sing. But... Um, I just think uh, some of the most important gospel truths we learn in in those primary hymns, and uh, that's certainly one of the most important things that we've that we can learn is uh, is love. Will you each just take a moment and introduce yourselves to our listeners that may not know you, Kirk? We're, I know you're a return missionary from Italy, and you are raising a family in Utah County dodging fires from last year and mudslides and an artist, just kind of, that's what I know about you. you know, I know you have kids. Just introduce your, yourself to our listeners. Okay. I was born in Provo in 1976, fourth of eight children. And, um, did, you know, I just was a Provo boy that didn't travel much. And, and I w- got my mission call to the Rome, Italy mission, which was perfect for an aspiring artist and uh, eventually graduated with a Bachelor of Arts degree from BYU Provo and met my wife, Amy Tolk, who was from Nashville, Tennessee. And we have been married 20 years as of uh, this Sunday. So we have four kids. Our oldest is about to attend BYU Provo. The rest of them, well, let's see, we have a a 16-year-old, a 13-year-old, and an almost 10-year-old. And um, yeah, we like you said, we live in Woodland Hills, which most people don't know about. It's a little town on the mountainside above Salem, Utah, in Utah County, uh, right where the fires came. Our house was about uh, 500 feet from the fire. So we're a year later excited that our house is still standing, that our neighborhood is still intact. Uh, 
And um, is there anything else you'd like That's to know? Great. It's helpful. When did you know, I, I assume you're a full-time artist and this is what you do professionally. You don't have any other things you're doing. That's um, correct, yeah. When did when did that happen for you? Because there's something about going into this field and graduating from college and wondering if this can become a full-time career and you're going to be successful. How? When did that kind of happen? Is that 10 years ago, 20 years ago, three years ago? Yeah, well, I graduated in 2000 and... Um, the first few months of our marriage, we lived off of wedding gifts pretty much. <laughs> and, but we, uh, we were determined from the beginning to make art full time. And so we lived very frugally in the early years. And, and so I've been able to do that. So I've been a full time painter for 20 years and, you know, our, our income has grown very gradually from, <laughs> from ver not much to something that can sustain a family. So we feel lucky to be able to do that. It's great. We as a community are really glad what you're doing and it's healing hearts and giving hopes. And it's like primary music, but in a different venue that gives hope and healing. And Allison, will you introduce um, yourself to our listeners and your connection to this space? Okay. Well, I grew up in Salt Lake. And I grew up, my oldest brother was gay, and he came out, I think, to my parents in, like, 1973, 74, um, which must have been daunting for parents who were in their early 30s. And as my mom says, she barely knew what gay was in 1970. And uh, But I, we grew up, when I was about 14, I figured it out. Actually, the spirit whispered it to me, um, Preston is gay, and that was the very beginning of my what's turned out to be my lifelong journey just in figuring out what that means um, as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ and what it means um, in my life and my brother and I loved each other we were really close and um, uh, in about two years ago he uh, took his own life and uh, the years before were sad and lonely and um, disconnected from family and the gospel and everything that he had once loved. And it was a it was a sad um, it was a really sad time. Uh, I met my husband Ken at BYU tennis camp when I was turning fifteen, and he was sixteen, almost seventeen. We didn't marry for nine years, but. We had a, a mad crush on each other for all of those years. We have three children. Devin is marrying Jake Costler very soon. Uh, Jake, our middle son, uh, he's turning 20 in a couple weeks. And um, Luke, who is the baby of the family, is taller than everybody and just about to finish his last year in high school. So we're all kind of moving into new parts of life. Um, I, uh, my son Jake, when he was little, there were, there were just glimmers of possibly this child is gay. And as he got older, uh, more, mostly in junior high, there, we really started to see, uh, that that was a possibility. Um, we talked about it on and off in ways that were very, like, my parents were, I wouldn't say open because in the 80s, being open about being gay was not necessarily a thing. But my, we were we were out as a gay family. My brother 
left uh, right after his after college, went to D.C., which was a very healthy um, place for gay men back in the day. Um, so he left. So what, there wasn't a lot of conversation, but my parents were very open about it. And in our family, it it sort of made no difference. It was still we were still an eternal family. This was Preston's like path in life, and 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 while not a lot was said about it, all the messages were really good, healthy messages. So when I had when I started finding out, figuring out about Jake, and I I mean I can only say that the spirit would just gently say to me, you know, you might want to pay attention to this, or you may, you know, he could be gay, which really helped me to kind of craft the way I parented him. And um, when he had graduated from high school one night, he came in, my husband and I were laying in bed, and he said, hey, I got to talk to you. And we said, what's up? And he said, well, I'm gay. And I said, yeah, we know. Wow. And he said, well, I just wanted you to know. And Ken's like, my husband said, we know, buddy, and we just love you and we're proud of you for really taking the time to understand this. And I, we knew that he had been searching and praying, trying to figure this out. And uh, that just sort of started like round two of my figuring out and really kind of a doctorate level course in right. what does this mean? And what does it mean to me as a member of the church and a mother and what does it mean to him as a child and in these days? And anyway, so that's that's our story. And you serve as a Relief Society president, I think, I, in your ward. I do, I do, and we have I have ten families in my ward that have gay children, at least. Ten Those families. are the ones I know of. Uh-huh. You know of, yeah. Yeah. And Kurt, talk about your connection to this space. Um, yeah, um, I. And let me, while you're formulating your thought, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm interrupting now. If you want to hear more about Allison and talking about her gay brother, Preston, that's episode 34. Mm-hmm. It's possible Allison's mic wasn't on during that episode. And <laughs> you're hearing her through my mic, and that's well, my technology <laughs> abilities. Well, but it's I, a great podcast, and you did such a great talk job thanks. talking about your brother, Preston. It's Thank a love you. story. Yeah, definitely. It really is. And I've learned a lot since. That wasn't even that long ago, right? That's true. All right, Kirk. Okay. Well, I I don't I don't know exactly when it, when it started, but I know that I a lot of the the people I grew up with, some of my friends and at least two of my mission companions have a uh, come out as gay and these people are my friends they've they're, they're really the salt of the earth when i think about the goodness in the hearts of my mission companions and the lives that they've led the people that they were then and and are now um i i know that god loves them um, we, we didn't talk about this earlier, Richard, but I remember during prop eight, I was in a bishopric and it was a very hard time for me to try to reconcile, um, 
the politics surrounding it and my faith and my faith in in the the love of God. And that's a I've been trying to reconcile that for years now, you know, trying really to, to sort my way through it. Um I I've had to grow a bit. Um like I think the country in general has awakened and that has helped me awaken to the ways that uh, our LGBTQ friends have been mistreated in the past and ways that we can better be uh, disciples of Christ in, with, in respect to how we treat them and everyone around us. So um, more recently, it's become a little bit more personal as I have a nephew that is gay that I've um, been communicating with a lot through his process of kind of coming into his own as somebody that recognizes and loves and appreciates himself for those aspects of of his of his person of, of his identity it's great thank you i hope you can feel the spirit we started with prayer and our hope is that as allison and kirk share their stories that it'll just be helpful for all of us to gain further insights into ministering and seeing the good in our LGBTQ members. Um, the first time I became aware, our family history with Kirk is my wife is, I don't know if you like to be called, she's been a fan. I don't know if artists like to have fans. <laughs> it's probably, but she's appreciated your work and there's, and you've done a lot of good in our home at times. And then we, my wife and I went to encircle the grand opening or maybe it was the event um, to walk, to see the artwork throughout in circle before the grand event, grand opening event um, in Provo. And then we saw the painting that still stands there um, at Encircle. And that's the first time I realized that you as an artist were connected to this space. Um, tell us about that painting at Encircle and the signaling it created with your nephew. Yeah, so the when Encircle was just starting in Provo and I met with Stephanie talk, and talked to her about what her vision was for the space and the home-like atmosphere that she wanted to create for LGBTQ youth to, to have a place to go and feel at home and feel loved. And, and so I wanted to create a painting for the space that would try to communicate those ideas. And if you attend or if you go into the front room there and at Encircle, you'll see the painting. And it's a painting of a family, possibly extended family, gathered around a table with their arm around one of the members of that family and a rainbow. Um, there's a rainbow kind of in the background. And my hope is that people who are there feel the way that the painting adds to that feeling, that they understand that, that there are loved ones who 
will remain faithful and loving regardless of the news that they may be receiving, you know? <clears throat> and so I'm, I'm honored that that painting has been there since Encircle opened and I hope it'll be there for a long time making, uh, communicating love to LGBTQ youth. That's great. Tell us about your nephew and his connection to that painting. Yeah. So I remember when Encircle, again, in the early weeks of Encircle, early months at least, I got a text from my nephew who had visited the house and was so excited to let me know that he had seen this piece and that I had become involved with uh, supporting the Encircle house. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm just going to get a little drink. When he saw that painting, I think he felt like he could confide in me about his life, about the aspects of his identity that he was discovering or coming to terms with. And that opened up uh, conversation. We, we, we've texted and communicated for many, many months now about his experience of, uh, coming out and his, uh, experiences in trying to support the commu his community as he got involved in love loud concerts and, and other events promoting things that would help make more safe spaces for people like him. It's good. Um, and I love just, you know, one of the things that I think about a lot is what we can do as parents or local leaders to signal. I kind of will pick up on that word that Kirk offered before we actually went live, that you're a safe person to talk to. And of course, Christ was the greatest signaler <laughs> of someone who is safe to talk about. I don't know if anybody wants to pick up on that and sort of talk about what Christ did in his ministry to signal that he was safe for everybody. Well, I mean, I think it, it there's, there, I, I feel there's no coincidence that we're studying the New Testament right now. And each story is a story of an outcast where everybody saw them differently Usually they saw them as not worth their time or worse, sinners or um, just people unequal to them. And every time Christ comes in and explains to them that this child is my child and I love this child. And it's, it's amazing if you, as we just read it, it, every single story was an outcast who needed our Heavenly Father and Christ to come and say, this is a child as well. This is an important child to me. And look at the miracles. I mean, with the story of the blind man, he says, you know, his, this child did nothing wrong. The parents did nothing wrong. He is blind so that my works can be known. The miracle of what I can do, I can show you through him. I mean, that's the story every time. Here, here's what you think this person is, and here's the miracle of who he really is. And I love that. I love that. It's really Part powerful, of his ministry. 
Any thoughts on that, Kirk? Any examples that come to your mind? Um, I guess the scripture that comes to mind is, in as much as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And who's to say who the least is? I think, you know, the Book of Mormon teaches us that we're all alike unto God. And, um, and the Bible teaches us that God's not a respecter of persons. Um, but we certainly don't measure up to that as we wander through life, treating each other in, you know, different ways, measuring each other up. Um, but if we can put into that practice, you know, that, that Jesus said, if we can put into practice the words that he taught and try to emulate his example, um, then we signal, like you mentioned, that we are his followers. Like that, there's another scripture that says, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples if ye love one another. And that's the greatest signal that we can give. I love talking about this kind of stuff. I love the spirit that's here as we talk about the words of Christ. Um, I love that your nephew has you in his life. I, I, our LGBTQ members need trusted adults um, in their lives to help them walk this road. I, I, especially people that are in the church, if they're LDS, that have people in their same faith communities that they can open up to. Because there's obviously people outside the church they can open up to and and find community with, but um, to have people like you two in their lives for your son or for your nephew and for others is, I think, very helpful. Uh, I want to get into this painting, but I want to ask Allison a question that par um, parents may have that suspect they have an LGBTQ child. It sounds like you waited for Jake to to come out to you even though for maybe a decade you've been wondering this. And the logical thing, my parents' side of me would want to resolve this. Totally. And figure out if I've got a gay kid or a trans kid and sort of, you know, so we can kind of walk this road together and I know how to help this kid. But why, what was your impression to let Jake come out to you on his own terms? Well, uh, I, don't, I, I, I can't say that it was completely um, our impression. We have a really trusted therapist who, as I saw Jake in the end, really struggling and depression hitting. And um, I mean, not that it, it was a struggle for a lot of the time, but really at the end, it was kind of critical. And having just lost my brother, um, I think, let's see, Jake came out maybe a year and maybe two months after my brother passed away. So obviously, as a parent, I'm panicking and thinking, what do I do? So I talked to this therapist and, and he he just cautioned me to let Jake do his thing. And I, I kind of think of it as sort of, you know, a chicken, like a little baby chick coming out of an egg or um, a chrysalis and having the butterfly come out. Like as parents so badly, you want to just be like, I'm going to knock a few of those pieces off that shell and it's going to be so much easier. And I think the most important thing and the hardest thing as a parent is to this whole process is for them to discover for themselves. And we're just there 
to, as parents, our role, especially with adult children, is just to love them and give them things to think about, even though we want to say, this is how it is and you don't understand, um, which is my favorite thing to do. So it's particularly hard for me. But um, we, I just had to watch him. And the, the therapist gave us that advice just to, to watch him and make sure that he's safe. Um, but Jake knew that we were very open and that uh, one day when we we uh, had some real questions and he'd, he'd kind of come to us for some help early on in junior high, we said to him, you know, and he was saying, I'm not gay. But we said to him, if you are, it's okay and we'll work it out. And that was sort of the mantra that we stayed with. We'll work it out. We'll figure it out. And um, What a great family mantra. Well, I mean, I think... That's what we do as parents, right? All of our, you know, our kids have just so many different paths they can be on. And uh, when they need our help, we'll help them. We'll, we'll help them. And, I mean, that is our divine job. And I'm not sure that there is anything that uh, there has an asterisk on it that we aren't supposed to help our children through and turn them back to Christ and say, hey, you know, we'll work it out. And through Christ, you'll, if you stay connected to him, he'll help you work this out. So that's sort of we, we waited and waited and prayed, and, and then he was finally ready. What advice would you have for parents um, if they're, they they're going to do what you're doing and not sort of force the issue? I love that. I actually love the visual of the, the chicken coming out of the egg. And our natural instinct to want to pull all those pieces away. Yeah, I, what would you do? What would you advise parents? I and think. What would you communicate in the house that you know that if you've got an LGBT kid, they'll eventually come out to you? Well, I mean, I think if you take Kirk's nephew for example, the thing that made him feel safe, he was in a home, uh, in a home that would make him feel safe as a gay kid, and then there was a bit of his uncle in there, and his uncle had done that. Uh, a piece of a beautiful piece of art, and I think in our homes we can we can put podcasts on that talk about gay people. We can and being gay in the church. We can talk about when we're giving examples of our scripture study. That's the beauty of "Come Follow Me," right? We can we can talk about it in our own family in ways that are really applicable to our own family, and we don't have to have the consensus of our entire Relief Society or our ward. Um, you can you can give examples of really you know when you were really proud of other people who came out and were gay and I think a really important thing is to show them very happy healthy gay people and how they are doing their best. Tom Christopherson's probably the easiest and best example of someone who's really who loves God and has turned has used his relationship with God to kind of navigate what was important for him, particularly him in his situation. Um, and everyone's going to get a different message. But I think just having that kind of conversation in your home that says, hey, there are, we are really um, open to gay people in this gospel. And, um, and we have, can see these other people that are making their way in the gospel in different, all different ways. But I think, I think that's the important part, just to kind of have, I mean, a painting of Kirk's is a really great idea. There are many ways to say this family, this family knows that we love everybody. Well, and 
just a personal note as, as my wife and I have gotten to know your family and obviously our son's marrying into your family. You're a great family. You're not perfect. You. Our family's not perfect. Mm -mm. Kirk's family's not perfect, but you are doing a really good job keeping your family together and you have a great kid in Jake. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. You know, I wish he could be on the podcast, and but he is spiritually mature. He's thoughtful. He's intellectual. He's emotionally mature. He's just a joy to be around the few times I've been around him. And what a great life he has ahead of him. Thank you. Well, and I would just say really quickly, as a parent of a gay uh, child, this is a, it is a really hard path. And navigating it is, it's hard for these kids. And navigating their membership in the church. Um, and it's just, I think it's super important. And a hard, it's I can't underestimate how hard it is, but just to let them express what they need to express and try and let them do that and just gently keep them, you know, connected to our Heavenly Father and teachings that would be applicable to them the way they need to, to uh, manage their life. That's that's kind of where, that's where we are right now. As a parent, that seems doable. Mm -hmm. It's hard. <laughs> but it seems something... It's really, uh, <laughs> Let's talk about this painting called Jesus Said Love Everyone. Kirk, will you just, um, and I know you do a lot of paintings, so it may be hard to remember the history of everything you've created, so we're putting on the spot a little bit. But I became aware of this painting at the beginning of 2019. I don't know when you actually painted it and if it was commissioned for somebody or something you just felt impressed to do. Well, the this particular painting was done for a show at Writ and Vision in Provo about a year ago. And I did it, uh, I, I have a, an annual show there where I exhibit my paintings. And <clears throat> last year... Is this on Center Street? Yeah. 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 It's, it's a little shop there. That's awesome. My wife and I have been there a couple times today, I think. And, and I remember seeing the painting. And actually, yeah, you were there. That was the first time. So wow. that was, um, and I had invited two other friends to share my show with me, um, Marlena Wilding and Michelle Franzoni Thorley. And we were doing paintings about the, the, the theme of the, or the idea behind the show was to, to make artwork that kind of expanded the diversity in religious painting and so one of the ways i wanted to do that was to do a painting that per that pertained to lgbtq uh friends and um and so the the painting maybe i should just describe it quickly it's called jesus said love everyone and it's a painting of jesus and his robes are the colors of the rainbow. And if you look closely, there are little people within those colors. And Jesus has his arms kind of cradling or wrapped around the, this rainbow full of people. And um, the painting has, there are actually seven colors in this rainbow and there are seven sides to the painting. And that number seven in uh, Christian symbolism 
has um, meanings that ha- meanings associated with perfection. And the idea behind that for me was that the body of Christ is perfect with the vast variety of uh, people within it as represented by the colors of the rainbow. And a second, uh, uh, not a secondary meaning, but an um, another primary meaning of the use of seven is that our LGBTQ uh, siblings and friends are perfect in their own right, that God has created them, that they are God's creation and that they are not less than seven or perfection. I love that. I love the visual imagery of that and the power of that, Kirk. Um, How quickly did the painting sell that day? Or did it well, sell that day? The painting sold. Every once in a while, I have a painting that I'm posting on Instagram. It's progress, and people re- uh, yeah. people s- uh, snatch it up before it reaches the gallery. And that's the, that was the case with this painting. So by the time the show happened, it had been sold for probably a week or two. But it still made it the painting. It still made it to the show, so we, uh, we saw it there. Mm-hmm. Talk about how you feel about this painting, Allison, and your connection to this painting and how it became part of your family. Well, I saw it on, actually somebody pulled it up. I follow Kirk and have known Kirk for a couple of years and three, maybe, two and a half, At three least, years. Yeah. yeah, a while. And I've always, I fell in love with Kirk's uh, painting of the Christos because the obscurity of the face, some people really like all the details and... Um, I loved that it left so much for me to interpret into the face of Christ. And um, so I've been following him since my first glance at that painting. Um, And a friend showed it to me. In fact, it was one of my daughter's girlfriends. And she said, have you seen this? And I immediately texted Kirk, is it sold? And he said, it is. And I said to him, "Um, would you do a small one for my son for Christmas? And um, Kirk had actually taught a drawing class that my son had taken, and so he was familiar with Jake and um, and friends with Jake, and Jake really uh, really liked Kirk, and I just thought this would be the perfect Christmas gift for him. Um, and Jake had just come out and hadn't really, he told his friends, he told family, he told, uh, you know, the people closest to him, but he hadn't told anybody else. And so I said to Kirk, would you paint it for Jake? And he said, is he out? And I said, he's coming out. He's emerging. He's coming out. And Kirk said, I would I would love to do that. So we were able to give it to Jake on Christmas morning. And Jake feels like he can't take it to the you know BYU dorms or his apartment because it wouldn't be safe. I think it, uh, people would take that painting <laughs> we never see it again so we've kept it in our home safe because it's in high demand or safe yeah because I, I just think there's a... so many the painting itself when you look at it okay. I mean people that come away from my house 20 minutes later say where did you where did you get that <laughs> you know how do I get one there's just such a feeling of love and warmth in the painting and um so I think Jake thought oh I can't have it just out <laughs> plus um 
What was Jake's reaction when he opened it on Christmas morning? Do you remember? He loved it. I mean, he just felt, um, just he loved it and felt uh, comforted by it, I think. And to have it, it sort of stands as, while Jake's away at school, it sort of stands as Jake in our home. Amongst all of our other paintings of Christ and paintings in our house, that one, um, it's there as part of the fabric of what we are. And uh, I love the seven sides. I love I love every bit of it. I mean, it just, the painting, it brings you into it. And it gives, it, it has so much to say. Talk about your Facebook post. Oh. If you want to read that now. Because yeah, so I... Um, I, this is probably when I re-became acquainted with the painting is when you did this Facebook okay, post. Okay, I'll read it real quick. It says, thank you, uh, Kirk Richards, for this beautiful painting we gave to our darling son, Jake, who is gay, and for letting me pick it up on Christmas Eve, which, by the way, was very nice. Thanks. Yeah, he's fighting fire. I guess the fires were out by Christmas was, Eve. Oh, yeah. He's probably wrapping presents or Kirk trying was to. the most excited guy to see snow. <laughs> That's right. Of exactly. anybody in Utah. All right. Uh, don't you love the way... Christ is cradling all of us in his arms. Kirk understands the gospel of Christ is so evident. His understanding of the gospel of Christ is so evident in this painting. Jesus says, love everyone. I'm grateful for the embracing love of our families and friends and for our Latter-day Saint, uh, in parentheses, Mormon family, who have lit literally showered Jake Dayton um, and our whole family with endless love and support. I'm so proud of my brave son and all that he is and will become. And I'm grateful for my father in heaven for teaching us what it truly means to have joy in our posterity. It's a great post. <laughs> Thanks. What was the reaction to that post? It was, it was big. Was that the first time you kind of came out with a gay son? Um, I, we had started telling friends and this was sort of my coming out for him um, you know what was the most remarkable part of it is that people uh, couldn't believe that I would could say it so easily, and um, I think that was my lesson in uh, just that. And and we, I should back up and say we purposefully, as a family and with Jake, decided to be very open from the beginning. I had seen a brother literally wither away. Um, in his life and um, spend so much energy in sadness. And a lot, I believe, because he had forgotten that he was a son of God, that he was a literal son, a spirit son of our Heavenly Father. Um, and I, we, 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 as a family, were just determined that this child would always know that we loved him, that we understand that what we don't understand about being gay, um, our, our Savior knows. There's no way he doesn't understand this already. And we've been given such tender mercies, I mean, almost in our hardest days, almost one a day where we can say, the Lord is with us. Um, and I, I mean, I feel like my testimony has grown and, and it, there's hard days where I'm really mad and I'm, I'll be honest, there's days when I'm mad um, at things said over the pulpit. There's days when I, um, there are days in a row where I feel so frustrated I can barely stand it. But in the end, we, what I've learned from 
Jake being gay and my brother being gay about the gospel is like so deep and so powerful that that I almost wouldn't wish it away other than the pain that it's caused, um, particularly my brother. But again, like I believe my brother's journey was uh, such an educational um, experience for him. So we just decided we are going to be open. I mean, we're promised joy in our posterity. And there are no asterisks. You know, you have joy in your posterity for all the ones that are doing everything you want them to do. I mean, that's not part of it. We're just supposed to have joy. And if we can look at our children, no matter what they're doing, or no matter whether we understand what they're doing or not, and say, I I have joy in you. I want to find the joy in you. Um, I think that's the key to loving your children through this and other people seeing it. It's really very, very thoughtful. And a couple thoughts. One is I wonder how many people opened Kirk Richards' paintings on Christmas morning. We did at our home (laughs) that year, the year before, and I wish Kirk could be in everybody's home to see um, what he does for people on those Christmas mornings. I'm glad you're home with your family and don't have to do that, though, Kirk. (laughs) But to see all the joy is a wonderful thing that it happens. And what would you say to parents that have a gay kid or a lesbian kid or a trans kid and they're worried about being open because it feels just like if they're open about it, it's more likely that they'll leave. And if they kind of don't talk about it or don't sort of fully acknowledge their um, sexual identity or gender identity, sexual orientation or gender identity, they're more likely to sort of stay in the church and um, this might pass. <laughs> and you have you this You mean pers- the kids might stay in the church? Yeah, or... Or themselves. Have, I mean, those yeah. are two really, I, I think both things Because I think some parents say, we won't talk about this. We won't be open about it because I, I think it, because they may think it's more likely the young man or young woman would stay in the church. Oh, I'm, I'm not sure that, I mean, it, it, anyone that has had a child come out will know that it is a battle for both parent and child to um, stay in the gospel. And I don't mean that in a flippant way, but um, it is a it is a battle, and I've had my own battle recently, where you know, and when the policy came, uh, was out in came out in two, 2015, I mean, a, a battle of like, what do I think and what do I believe, and um, I I'm not sure that. I know as parents, we love to think that we have a lot to do with our children's <laughs> path, but I'm not sure. Um, I'm not sure that we do. I'm not sure that we have that much to do with our children's paths, paths, especially when they're that age. I think by example, we can show them how we're handling the faith crisis that might come along with this. And to say that there's not one, I think is probably, I mean, there could be some parents that don't, but it's such a double bind with it's just I mean there's just you have to you have to almost move into another space as a a gay person or a parent of a gay person where you understand everything differently than what your friends around you do I think parents are um I think it's scary I think it's really scary to be different it's really scary to be the the family on the street with the gay kid um people will might judge you or whatever but um there's a lot of power in standing up and saying, look at this righteous kid. There's a lot of 
there's just, there's a lot of strength in saying this child was sent to me by a loving Heavenly Father and his goal is to figure out how he relates to our Heavenly Father as a gay person. Just like all the, the other, um, everyone has had to do. It's all, you know, it's just their job. And to be able to stand up and be proud of that child is, there's strength in it. I think the Spirit strengthens you in that. And when people say things that hurt, to say, hey, I think you're not, you're probably not seeing this in the way that my son is or my daughter or whatever. And um, I think that's a powerful thing. It's hard. You have to be brave. But by being doing brave acts, we become brave, I think the quote says, right? It's really very thoughtful. Both of you are honest about Prop 8, Kirk, when you were in a bishopric, and I mm-hmm. felt many of those same feelings, Allison. And I think just being vulnerable and letting people know how we feel helps increases the likelihood that we'll find authentic connection within our congregations and feel like we can stay even in our differences. Um, We don't need to have one monolithic way of thinking. And I I really believe that um, a couple things come to mind is I really believe um, families like you that are openly supporting their LGBTQ children have better outcomes. The family circle Mm -hmm. tends to stay together. And I think if the LGBTQ child feels unconditional love from the parents, they're going to be in a better emotional spot and spiritual spot to make better decisions. Right. And perhaps go slower and sort of process this space with their family instead of really quickly. And so that's a generalization. Well, (laughs) but I certainly see that with Jake and I see him at BYU thriving and, and, um, and doing things in the church, even though he may not know his complete future in the church. Right. Um, but I see him doing really thoughtful things and going slow and being very thoughtful about his future. Well, I, I, I would say that probably the only place for these kids to understand the gospel is in their home right now, particularly right now. The world will teach them all different things about being gay, and most of them will not keep them in the church. Um, we don't talk about uh, being gay a lot in our church meetings. Um, and sometimes when we do that, it's hard stuff. So where else are you going to get, where else are you going to get that kind of teaching, but in the home around you know, on the couch with the, with your children and your family, it's the, it's really the only place that there's a space to say, to learn about the love of God I love that. Kirk, you said something about the seven sides of the painting that represent seven perfect sides and talked about our LGBTQ siblings being perfect. Talk, just share more of your thoughts there because some may feel they're broken and who they are is a mistake and God doesn't love them. And just share some of your thoughts there. Yeah. And and I should mention, you know, the, uh, the most commonly used LGBTQ flag has six colors and my, my painting has seven colors and I'm not, I'm not trying to move away from that or disrespect that. I, I think, um, I'm definitely an imperfect ally. Um, but I am learning all the time and partly thanks to the things that I've learned from you, Richard and Allison. So, um, I just maybe want to clarify that, that 
So there's the seven people, colors and seven sides. Yeah, yeah. Um, none of us is perfect, obviously. That's something that we hear a lot at church. But um, I don't feel like any of the people that I know, and I have met a lot of, especially um, gay friends, um, and I don't feel that they are any any less in terms of what God meant them to be than I am or any of my, you know, cis heterosexual friends. I just think that God, um, intends for them to live a rich and fulfilled life and a life that has faith and love in it. And I think that it is incumbent on us to allow them to live that life, to have that love and to exercise that faith. And we, um, as a, as a culture, as a community, we, we have a history of not allowing those people to exercise faith and to be part of our community. And I think that that is a huge opportunity for us to repent. And, um, as people who want to follow Christ, call ourselves disciples of Christ, we shouldn't be afraid to look at that thing that needs repentance squarely in the face and, and, and move towards repentance to turn ourselves to the right. And that can be painful. It can be painful to acknowledge that we have changes to make or that we have caused hurt. But I think that that's, I mean, I know that's what Jesus wants us to do. We need to be reborn in the love of Christ. And we, you know, we, we try to do that every week with the sacrament. We we're, we're baptized, but that's an ongoing process. You know, we just need to keep examining and keep, um, extending love and allowing people to exercise faith in our community. It's really powerful words. Really appreciate what you've both been sharing. And I agree. And I just feel like we can do that personally and we can do that on the institutional side of our church. I believe in our church. I believe in our restored doctrine that you've talked about. But sometimes the institutional side of our church, the side that sort of implement, needs to implement it, may at times not fully match our restored doctrine. And I say that as a faithful member. I don't mean to say how it needs to change, or I don't sit on the general councils of the church to say this is what needs to be done differently. But I think it's okay to look inward and just recognize we have work to do. And I have enough enough of a testimony at church that it allows me to look inward and just say there's we need to do better. And so what do we do individually? We do what you two are doing. 
And what we're trying to do on this podcast is bring voices to LGBTQ people. So I think that's just part of the doctrine of Christ, Kurt, that you're talking about is looking inward and improving and growing. And and it really shifted for me as I've shared on this podcast when I quit looking at LGBTQ people as an outside group of people that posed a threat um, to me or my family or my marriage. I, I recognized when I too gay men in my ward, that this was someone I had priesthood responsibility and stewardship responsibility, same feeling you have for your own son um, and you have for others in your life, Kurt, dear friends. And so then it shifts. You don't see this as an outside group of people. You see this as your fellow siblings. And then you think of your baptism covenants. What do I need to do to lift their burden as they walk a difficult road? I want to talk about the rainbow colors, the seven that are in your painting, so I'm the oldest around the table right now, and almost every podcast I'm the oldest <laughs> at 58. And I remember, you know, the rainbow flag is probably represented for some reason, San Francisco Pride Parades. Um, I don't know if either of you know the history of the, the flag. or, And so I think I bring that up because I think some in our faith see that and they almost feel it's disrespectful or it represents things that are against the against Christ or represent an outside threat to our church, why your painting isn't trying to do that at all. It's trying to teach the doctrine of Christ by using those colors. Yeah, I know I know a little bit of, of the history. So the flag began with eight colors and due to, and each of those colors had a, a particular meaning. Um, it was reduced to six colors, partly because of production costs and the difficulty in producing an eight color flag. Um, oh, I just lost my thought, but there was something. Could you just, you know what were you the year saying? of the flag or do you know, I mean, I, I don't know when the rainbow flag sort of um, got connected with LGBTQ and pride parades. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, a, a quick internet search <laughs> yields the year 78. So mm -hmm. it was, um, it was, uh, made as a symbol for pride. What better thing to show pride than a flag? And, um, at the request of Harvey Milk. So it, it does have some roots in, in, um, that one city in California, San Francisco. San Francisco. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've been smelling way too many paint fumes for way too long. <laughs> but here's why I don't feel like we should be threatened by it. Um, I think that feeling of, th of being threatened has led to um, a lack of empathy, which has led to policy, which doesn't allow LGBTQ people to look for uh, safe lifestyle choices that we believe in as members of the church. And so those policies have encouraged, if not almost forced them to make dangerous life choices. And we can do a lot to provide love, to meet people where they're at, to 
allow them and encourage them to live in healthy ways. And, um, and I, I, I think that's part of what I was talking about before, the repentance process. Thoughts on that, Allison? Yeah, I totally, I totally agree. I, I, I just, it becomes clearer and clearer as I, you know, having a brother who was gay is one thing, but to be the parent is totally a different, um, I watched my brother and I was 10 years younger almost than he was, but my being with the son and having him be able to articulate his different um, feelings about being in the church and what he would do if he wasn't able to be in the church, it's so clear to me that we have no path for our um, our gay members who are not able to hold the the um, to, to be celibate, which is frankly something we ask of nobody in our church. In fact, it can't be found in any of our church um, dictionaries or. Um, topic guide, topical guides, but we ask this incredibly hard thing, um, and we don't ask ourselves that very thing. And um, outside of the, the celibacy plan, we don't have a path for what I believe are the legions of righteous members of our church who have been sent to this earth and who are gay. Um, legions, I mean, really wonderful, faithful kids who are trying with all their might. I met uh, a bunch from Provo, and several of them had no parental support for being gay and in the church. I mean, these are kids who are figuring out the gospel on their own. They are gay, and they're at BYU, and I can't even imagine how hard that would be. And we, as members, can figure out a path for them into our doors, even if they can't um, live in some sort of celibate lifestyle for their entire life. Um, we're, we're told in the scriptures many times as disciples, we are not to let anybody leave the, um, the closeness and the love of God. I mean, we're told to never turn anyone away. That is our, that is our job as disciples. So we have to help create in this gospel a path, as Kirk said, where however they choose to live, that it can still be healthy. And we, we said to our son, you know, no matter how you live this life, we expect the same things out of you. You've, you've learned to live a moral lifestyle to, um, to value your sexuality as something that binds you to another person and, and, and ties you together in ways that nothing else can. I mean, that's really an important part of our of our doctrine and our gospel. Um, and it doesn't change for us in our family because we have a gay son. Our children are still, you know, they might not all be able to live it, but if they're listening, they better. Um, but we expect the same thing out of all of our children. And that's, it's, it's a great plan. And when, so I, my, uh, my, big takeaway from especially this last year is we need as members to figure out a path, a path to our door, a path through the door and a path to the, the, the um, pews in our chapels and in the hearts of the neighbors that no matter how you're dealing with this life. Um, and I never like to say anything like 
the lifestyle you choose or the, you know, some of the cliche things that people say, but no matter how they live this life, the, the path into the doors of our church and into the gospel are wide open still. And then they come and they figure it out for themselves, just like the rest of us. I think you both talk about, you know, something I didn't understand is just how difficult the road is um, for our gay members and what we're asking of them. And I support and sustain our doctrine, but I recognize how difficult it is for what we're asking for someone to be alone, um, celibate for their entire life. Um, and obviously, a companionship is more than just physical intimacy. It's sharing sure. your life with. And, and sacrificing for. And... I'm, and growing with. And so I think a lot of parents recognize that their LGBTQ kids may find a path outside the doctrine of our church, and then what do you do? And I think you do what you're doing is you just love your family and keep them together. But I think you have hope that we can look inward and think we we have work to do as a church to create a better path for LGBTQ members, because I think the statistics are most leave. <laughs> and and my experience is just the same that you're both talking about is these are spiritually actually often very gifted um, members of the church and have spiritual maturity and a depth that I don't see often in peers their same age because they've had to wrestle so deeply and have such a deep and close relationship with God. Um, and so to me, that means there's just more work for us to do. Um, and I don't know if, Kirk, if you want to come back and share any more thoughts. I I think one of the things I want to just, you know, you have a pride flag on your home. You had it during mm -hmm. Pride Month. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I would invite members of the church is to kind of move. It's like a rebranding campaign. I'm a marketing guy. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the pride flag has probably represented one thing. Um, if we just did unassociated naming, I think... Since I'm 58, I would think of San Francisco gay pride parades that sure. can be unsettling for traditional members to kind of see what would go on there. And I think in a rebranding effort that we could look at the pride flag in a different way, um, and it represents to me our baptism covenants to mourn, bear, and comfort, and to follow the doctrine of Christ. And we have to create visual community around that. Um, and so to me, the the seven pride colors and the seven perfect sides. I just think, in fact, I didn't realize till this podcast, the intentional um, detail you did there, Kirk, to create seven sides. And so when people put a pride flag up or a pride pin or a logo on a hat that we as members of the church aren't triggered and think that's somebody that's rebellious or kind of out there, we look at that as somebody that's trying to send a signal that they are safe place for our own members. Any more thoughts on that, Kirk? Um, or any other topics that we've kind of, <laughs> as we've talked through a bunch of stuff? Well, I, yeah, I do. I, I don't know if, I, I think I'd like to bring up Allison's Instagram account. Good, I, do. Um, I think that's new since you interviewed her last. Good. Uh, maybe you could, you should describe that, I, Allison. I, I, I started an Instagram <laughs> account and I'm still working on what, uh, what I'll end up doing with it, but um, it's called Lift and Love Org, and I intend Lift to get and Love Lift Org. And Love so Org everybody go find Lift, Lift and, and Love Org, and I intend to start a uh, uh, not-for-profit 
to help kids who are gay in this gospel, but really, um, and I'm feeling my way through it, and I'm, I want to be very sensitive. I am a faithful member of this church, and, um, and I, I, I am learning how to tie these two parts of my life together, and I'm hoping that I can share on this Instagram account um, the same kind of feeling, and hopefully soon from other people, not just me. Um, but yeah, it's it, it's supposed to be a help for families and to, to sort of normalize being a member of the church with a gay member, a gay family member and make it feel more comfortable for people. And I, it's been so far, it's only been, I think, two months, but it's really, it's some of the things I hear back are really moving to me and, um, and some are really sad. But uh, I think, yeah, I think it'll, I'm hoping it will help. One of the things I like about it is um, Allison is very pro-gospel. And it's one of the things I like about your podcast, Richard, as well. It's There's been so much division for so long that it's easy to slip into one side of the divide. Mm-hmm. And um, so how do we how do we bridge the divide? I think that you two are both doing good work to that, to that end. And I also, I knew that I was coming on here and didn't, well, I, I asked my nephew if there's anything good that he wanted, uh, said and with your permission, I'll, good. I'll read just a very short quote from him inspired by Walt Disney. So my nephew says, if we keep moving forward, doing our best to be the best people we can personally personally be, whatever that might mean to us personally, we can do anything. If we keep moving forward, we might even invent the future. And uh, I think that he's right. I think that we can invent a future that allows our LGBTQ siblings and friends to live with love, to experience faith in our community. And um, I'm going to keep learning better how to make that future happen. I love your nephew and that those thoughts and those are full of hope if you're listening (laughs) and full of the future and inventing the future. That's really very thoughtful comment. You briefly said the gay agenda, Allison, I think. Um, When I thought of Cal Burke in the Tribune, this is a BYU student that you know, and Mm -hmm. he said, this is my gay agenda, is attending BYU, going to church each Sunday, reading the Book of Mormon night, every night before I sleep, fall asleep. The gay Latter-day Saint agenda involves us doing everything in our power to belong to and attend the church we love. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that post. (laughs) Isn't that that. beautiful? I mean— that is a faithful member of this church. That is a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ who is carrying his own challenges and um, his own way of seeing the gospel. But, yeah, I mean, I just, I really believe, you know, I'm struck by the, you know, we've all heard that we're all, the the Lord saved us, right? We grew up, the Lord saved us for the latter days that we are the elect. And I actually I truly believe that the Lord also had elect gay Latter-day Saints that he sent to teach us that 
the ideas that we used to have about gay people, the, the ideas that my brother grew up in, and, and part of his reality are not actually part of being um, a gay member of this church and that there is a better, more holy way. Um, I just, I, I know it. I can feel it in my bones that there are just such good members of this church and such disciples of Christ who have had to leave because there's no space for them here. And they left with pain and sadness. And, and many that I talked to say they would never have left if they could have stayed. Um, these are faithful disciples of Christ. And their children, they are siblings to us and children of God and must be kept close. I think that is our job. That is our responsibility. Sometimes we want to stay emotionally safe. and We don't want to fully sort of open our hearts to the difficulty of this issue. And if you've got a, a friend or a nephew like Kirk does or a child or a brother like you do or me as a YSA bishop, then and you're willing to sort of – then I think it's okay to be – to recognize how difficult this is. And, and I think part of our baptism covenants is – to not always keep ourselves emotionally safe and to fully understand this issue. And you listeners on the podcast are doing this. And so I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but I think as more members are sort of able to do the things that you're talking about and listen to a nephew and a son and a brother and recognize that, you know, our responsibility to create space for these members in our church. I, I talk of the body of Christ in Corinthians we need our LGBTQ members to become the body of Christ that Christ wants. And and I really agree with you, Kirk, about the perfection of our Latter-day Saints. And I think I've shared this in the podcast a little bit, but I've had the chance to give priesthood blessings to hundreds of LGBTQ LDS people. And I just, everybody I meet with, I say, would you like a blessing? Are you okay? And I don't do that as a YSA bishop. I just do that as a, you know, as a disciple of Christ that holds the priesthood. And then, and in those blessings, I have blessed some of the most valiant premortal spirits. But who they are and their life mission is largely, you know, masked from our eyes and mortality. And you know that, and many of our listeners know that, but it really comes back to the perfect seven sides you've created in this painting, Kirk, and to represent, uh, and I like what you said, we don't think anybody's perfect, but everybody's uh, meant to be how they're created, to use some of your words, Kirk, and no one's a mistake and nothing went haywire here. Um, and everybody needs to look in the mirror that is not straight or cisgender and not think they're a mistake, but think they're a, a wonderful child of God who is worthy of love and has a great life ahead of them. And um, we did a podcast with, it's episode 165, with a seminary teacher at Lehigh High School, Sister Alyssa Edwards. She's actually the youngest female seminary teacher when she was hired in the system. And um, it's back to the word signaling. So she is younger and has many, she recognizes that there's many LGBTQ people at Lehigh High School. And so she wanted to create um, a signal that she was safe if any of her students wanted to open up to her about being LGBTQ. So um, you you both know the answer to this question. Maybe our listeners don't, but um, she was aware of your painting, Kirk, and she has a copy of your painting hanging in her office in the seminary building. And I just have tears in my eyes thinking about the impression of a 
15 or 16-year-old closeted LGBTQ student that walks into a seminary teacher's office and sees that painting with Jesus with seven colors and what message that sends about Sister Edwards. Um, What did you think when you became aware of that story, Kirk? And I assume you've heard other stories like that. And and I don't know how many, if you know how many copies of your painting have been requested. I don't know if you keep track of that stuff. I, I don't. Um, I just know that there's been a lot of interest and demand, which means that a lot of people want to signal that they are safe to talk to about this. And a lot of people want to show love and our community wants you know, a, a big part of our community wants to just love and embrace these siblings and friends. And, um, and that gives me hope. It gives me hope for the future. And, you know, we can see it in community attendance at Love Loud concerts and things like that. We, we want to be, we want to repent in this way. And, um, it, it, I, I, as you, you were talking about your tears welling up, I was getting a little bit emotional too, thinking about those kids in seminary and, and that it may have taken Alyssa Edwards some courage yeah. to put that in her office and how much that courage is paying off in the lives of her students. And so I, I just want to say thank you to Sister Edwards for having the courage to do that. Well, and it doesn't only say that she loves them. They literally see Christ embracing them. So they know what a Christ message. loves them. And a child that knows that Jesus Christ, their Savior, loves him or her is always going to do better in life than a child that is uh, confused about that or thinks that Christ doesn't love them. I mean, that's a great message in the painting as well. People often ask me how to get a copy, and I tell them just to go to Google and type in Jesus said love everyone, and then the word Kirk Richards, the name Kirk Richards, and you'll find a way to buy a copy of this. Um, And I just am glad that it's being used around the church. And I sometimes, you know, when you talk about Love Loud and Encircle, and um, I recognize the need for those organizations, but a lot of oftentimes parents and LGBTQ people want to turn to the church for community around this, and there isn't. There's no group at BYU. There's no multiple stake, FHE, Thursday night where parents can come together and talk about this, or your son Jake can find community in an authorized way through the church structure to sort of process this. And I think, I think we can just mature to recognize the need for community. Maybe there have been some worry about creating community that it legitimizes people being LGBTQ, but I think God did that himself. <laughs> um, and everybody needs community. So that's one of the things I hope in the future. And then I, 
that we can just mature to be able to create communities. So in for particularly for those two groups, parents um, that need to talk about this with other LDS parents and have sort of off-the-shelf programs that can be taught in like a Thursday night, multiple stake service missionaries like you, Allison, teaching it down yeah. the road. And somebody and LGBTQ members coming together to form community. And I think at BYU we'll see on-site BYU clubs that are LGBTQ. And I just think that that's part of maturing as a church and recognizing we not we have to meet the needs of our members. That doesn't change doctrine. That doesn't, you know, it's just part of meeting the needs of our members. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I think that we have seen advances and sometimes it feels like we're taking a few steps forward and <laughs> one or two back. But uh, Richard, I think we both attended a, a an event sponsored by BYU. Yes. So it was very hopeful. That's right. And I know that there are people working um, to make BYU a safer place. Um, I I also know that I texted or messaged you on Facebook with a few other friends when I had a friend who lives outside the state and needed help with a trans daughter. Um, she just didn't know what to do or how to help her child who was struggling, just trying to f- want to be alive. And um, I guess what I'm trying to drive at is that as as we, before we get to the point where we have the communities that we need, that uh, there are people to reach out to and and I feel grateful that you are in that group. If I have questions, um, that I can message you on Facebook and um, that there are people that know where to go and can point us in the right directions. And I would just encourage everybody that needs to to reach out to somebody that they know that they can talk to about this. And I agree. I've been really optimistic about BYU and the and the wonderful, thoughtful people in administration, professors there, as well as the LGBTQ students. So I think that's I I think that's a template perhaps for what can be done there that can be scaled to the church. I think you're exactly right, Kirk mm-hmm. Allison. And we're gonna kind of give you guys a chance to give final thoughts as we're kind of wrapping up. So any final thoughts or comments about this? I'm grateful to be able to um, be here with Kirk, who's an art hero of mine and and somebody who's very thoughtful about all people. Um, And his paintings show it. I I'll just say, and and I'll reference my my first podcast with you, which... I love doing, and I love to be able to speak about my brother. It was kind of ironic because our kids had broken up. Yeah, that's right. we were right. going to do the podcast anyway, yeah. even though our kids were no longer dating, and then they got together and like that day. I know. And you came that night, and they were back together again, I know. and we didn't know Isn't what to think. Funny? I totally And now they're getting married. Funny? Well, and you and I met before <laughs> they started dating. That's right. You met, we, we met oh, uh, in, uh, through In Circle right, right after my brother passed away. Um. But, uh, and let's see, what was I, <laughs> um, 
So now I've drawn a blank. I know, and I've just, this, I sidetracked you. Oh, I was going to say about the podcast, uh, you know, it's fascinating how much I've, I've learned since my brother's death about, um, about the purpose of LGBT people in this, uh, in this gospel. And I've, it's funny, you know, people, I think we all want an answer. What does this mean? Um, and I'm, I, I hope that we get one one day, the, the meaning and uh, legitimacy and whatever, however you want to frame it. I think, it's, I think it's healthy for us to ponder that in our own hearts. And my um, experiences with Jake and Jake uh, emerging in this church and being very openly gay um, have led me down a, a path of inquiry with the Lord that have opened my eyes. And a lot of my teaching has been when I'm studying the scriptures and when I'm in the temple, um, I'm blown away sometimes by the messages that I receive there and the understanding. And um, it's, it's still evolving. Like I still am understanding differently uh, and, and better what hopefully what, what the purpose is. And, and in that, I feel closer to my brother who we were not close in the end, and that is a gift to me that I am immensely grateful for. I feel him teaching me and teaching Jake. I know that he is. Um, and I think that, that that's part of the purpose of Heavenly Father's purpose for me, having this two generations of uh, gay people in my life, is like figure the gospel out, out around this and with this, and not try and get it out of your life because it doesn't fit in the gospel. It fits. you got to figure out how. And and that's where I feel like the expansion in my heart and in my mind has been. And it's, it's painful and hard, and some days I hate it, and most of the time I'm so grateful for, um, for the opportunity and for the enlightenment and the, the love that I've been able to receive and understand. You have a really unique life mission in this space, Allison. <laughs> Kirk talked about your Instagram at listen and love or life and love dot org. And love it, lift and love dot org. Yeah, it's me, lift and love org. And and not quite dot org yet, but it's at, coming. At lift and love. At lift and love. Lift org. and love org. org. So yes, search at that Instagram. On Instagram. It will soon be a dot. Org, but you but have, have a unique get, life mission yeah. in the perspective of a brother and a son, and I do, and um, being a church member and and personal revelation. So we're excited for what you're going to do. Thank you, and what you are doing in the space, Kirk. Any final thoughts you'd like to share? Yeah, uh, first I just want to ask for your everybody's forgiveness if I misspoke or said something that offended and I'm still trying to learn how to communicate my feelings and, um, you know, understand what words mean to other people. And so, I uh, hope, I hope you'll give me a little bit of grace there. And then the other thought that I had, Richard, is I was sitting in, in my ward in, um, in Sunday school and there was a discussion about the, about youth and how people are making, um, 
making, taking the easy way out or making choices that are the easy choices. And, and that was conveyed as choices that we don't, we don't necessarily agree with. And I think what I responded to that is that some, that those choices are so many times not easy that these youth are making very, very difficult choices. We can actually learn from their courage in making the choices that they are making in some instances. And that the war in heaven was fought over agency and their ability to make choices, our ability to make choices. The war in heaven was not fought over the precise picture of what a family should look like, but it was fought over agency. And we need to honor those difficult choices and make it so that they can choose faith if possible, you know, that they can choose faith, that they can choose love, that they can choose mental health, um, and not have to choose between them. And if we can do that, then like my nephew said, we will invent the future. I think we can do it. Love that. I love the idea that all of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters fought that same war and are here and chose the plan. Thank you, Allison Dayton, for being on the podcast, Kirk Richards, Alyssa Edwards, for your work, and all of you on the that are trying to do the best you can. I know many of you, and I think everybody kind of figures out how to do this on their own. Alyssa Edwards is doing a little different than Kirk is doing a little different than me, than Allison, and all of us are needed um, to, to this work in the best way that we can. And we're grateful for um, both of you for joining on the podcast, as well as your good son, Jake, that's kind of been here by, um, by proxy, so to speak, as we've been talking about him. And thank our listeners for joining us on a, another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. <laughs>